Dear Lord, thank you so much for an opportunity to be together, to sing your praises, to declare your excellencies, and what a privilege it is uh, to, to do so together. And Father, I thank you for the opportunity you've given us today to be in your word, and I pray you prepare our hearts that we would be ready to receive uh, what you intend from your word. Lord God, and I pray that uh, you would just keep us from the distractions, the things that might uh, pull us away from being able to pay attention, so that you would be glorified in our responses. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are a forgetful people. Uh, based on our humanness and our fallenness, uh, we forget things. And the reality is, sometimes we forget things that are big, and sometimes we forget things that are small. I uh, forgot my phone this morning. I never forget my phone. I forgot my phone. And uh, sometimes the things are significant that we forget. Sometimes they are not significant. In some situations, when we forget things, it's actually quite important. I'll give you an example. I used to be a corporate pilot. And uh, I have heard many stories of people who forgot to put the gear down. That's pretty significant. Um, and also situations, unfortunately, where what was forgotten led to fatal crashes. Forgetfulness can be, lead to things that are significant or not so significant. And the same is true for the Christian life. There are some things that we might forget, uh, biblically speaking, that don't have a great effect on us, at least eternally. And there are some things, if we forget them, can have a serious effect on our walk with Christ. So with that in mind today, we're going to see uh, that we have, from a heart of a faithful shepherd, reminders that we need to be reminded of. Would you turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1? 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to share the context of this portion here. 2 Peter chapter 1. Um, context of 2 Peter, tremendous, tremendous book. In the very first verse, verse uh, Peter remi- uh, shares that he is a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And as we're going to see, these are his final words uh, as a concerned shepherd. And the Lord has made it known that his departure from this earth is imminent. And we've seen that Peter is writing to those who have a same like faith as he says he has, or the apostles have. You see, true, genuine saving faith is the same for everyone. You see, it's faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross, dying for our sins, believing that uh, in him alone is salvation for your, from your sins. And this is the second letter that he is writing to. Uh, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1, he says, This is now, beloved, the second letter that... I am writing you in which I am stirring you up uh, your sincere mind by way of reminder. If this is the second letter, then that identifies it's the second of what he wrote earlier, which is First Peter, and he was writing to believers in Asia Minor. Writing to believers in Asia Minor. But yet within that, this book seems to go beyond just them and to, as we see in the beginning, to all believers in Jesus Christ, as we know all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. And so with that in mind, we've looked at this book so far and we've seen really the theme of the book, the theme of the book. And you can see that in the first few verses. Look at verse 2, and we're going to review this today, but I want to read this. Verse 2 of chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. This book is about the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of him. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. If you look down in verse 8, and we'll look at this again too, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to reboot the whole thing, that's fine too. It's up to you. I don't mind. I'll preach in the dark here. I've got a light here. <laughs> you can go for that if you want. Uh, and again, verse 8, they, they render you neither useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of the book, in chapter 3, instead of being taken captive by the bad guys, um, he says here, um, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Tremendous reality. Um, so this book is about growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about growing in him. And as we saw, Peter makes it clear that growing in Christ is based on his word, his marvelous word, his precious and magnificent promises working in us. Now we're also going to see today that this book is a reminder. It is a reminder of things that we should already know as believers, but things that we need to be able to call to mind as we walk with Jesus Christ. So with that in mind... Uh, in this book, although it is a reminder and it is a focus on a relationship with Christ, within that, Peter also shares some warnings to threats concerning our walk with Christ or knowing Christ. Peter, a concerned shepherd, reveals there are those who would pervert, twist, and mock the word of God, which is a direct threat to our relationship with Jesus Christ. So then, these are Peter's last words, and they are his second epistle, and they are very important and it is a reminder in regards to our relationship with Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, we're going to see specifically today that there are specific reminders that we need, and they come from a heart of a faithful shepherd. Let's read our passage, and I want to read up from verse 2 up through verse 15. We're only going to look at 12 to 15, but since 12 to 15 really speaks about everything that we've seen already, we're going to emphasize that first part and then get to verses 12 to 15. Verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, for he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain of his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. 
For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. And then our passage, verse 12. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you may be able to call these things to mind. What a tremendous passage, tremendous portion of Scripture. And as I've shared, uh, we are forgetful people. And we need to be reminded. And the focus of what we're going to see today is that God wants to remind us of these truths on a continual basis. And he does it here specifically through faithful shepherds, ultimately through his word being proclaimed. Now, the first thing we're going to see, I believe, is that we always should place ourselves in a place where we can be reminded You know, if I don't remind myself or I am not reminded by someone else, then I'm going to forget things. God has been so gracious to have people who help out in the office and do tons of work there, and I and I ask them to remind me of things. And if I don't if I'm not reminded of them, then I'm gonna forget them. We need to be reminded. We need to place ourselves in a place in which we can be reminded. Look at verse twelve. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Now, as you can see, our passage begins with this term, therefore, which indicates it doesn't stand on its own. It is connected to what was previously said. It's definitely connected to verses 10 and 11. And if you look at 10 and 11, they're connected to verses 8 and 9. And if you look at 8 and 9, they're connected back to verses 5 and 7, which are connected back to 2 through 4. What he's talking about today has to do with what he has shared in verses 2 through 11. Tremendous, wonderful truth. Now the reality is we're going to see that if you are in a biblical church, you should be reminded of things over and over again. If you walk out and say, I've heard that before, it shouldn't be a bad thought. It should be a good thought. You should be hearing that again. You see, there's no new truth. We gain insight into what God has already revealed. We grow a deeper understanding sometimes, but there is no new truth. God has given us his word, and we need to be reminded of it day in and day out. (coughs) So with that in mind, what is it that he is reminding them of what is this therefore point to he says therefore i shall always remind you of these things what are these things that peter says i'm always going to be ready or unceasingly ready to remind you of let's walk through what we've seen this is going to be a large portion of what we do today and it is a reminder uh, and we're going to look at verses 2 through 11 and then summarize it with our passage today look at verse 2 Here we have God's desire for true believers. God's desire. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's what God wants. God wants his grace and thus his peace to be multiplied in our relationship in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? He wants us to function by his grace more and more and more and experience his peace more and more and more. That's what God wants for us. Grace and peace be multiplied, magnified. 
And then notice verse 3, he, he says, because of something, or seeing that something has happened, this is why. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through, again, the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now, I'm not going to re-preach what I've shared before in this. You can go back and listen to it, but I want to review it, and I want to remind you of these things, because this is what Peter is speaking of specifically. What a tremendously wonderful verse for true believers. And remember, the apostle Peter here is about to, as we'll see later on, to go to his death. He's about to go to the Lord. And also, like we see with the Apostle Paul and with the Apostle John, in their final letters, whether it's 2 Timothy or Revelation, whatever it might be, they were pointing to the sufficiency of the Word of God as they were about to go to be with the Lord. Seeing that His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and goddess. Everything you need to live the Christian life has been gifted to us already. That's what it says. Everything we need for this life and for our relationship with God, for godliness. And it is, middle of verse 3, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ, and in that relationship, he has granted us everything we need to know and have and understand for that relationship. He provides everything that we need. And then we have an explanation of really how he does that. Because you might say, well, how did he provide everything we need? How has that already been granted to me? I'm a believer. I don't feel like I have everything pertaining to life and godliness. But God says, look at verse 4. For, he's explaining, for, you know, uh, verses don't just start, I don't just say for, he was a great guy. There's, there's, there's something I said before that, right? I'm explaining. And here he says, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Tremendous statement on, on, on what God wants us to understand about his word. It's precious. It is so valuable. It is, it is more valuable than gold or silver. And it is magnificent. It is the greatest. Precious and magnificent promises. And promises are things that God says that he will keep his word. He is faithful to his word. In order that, middle of four, that by them, speaking of his word you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. God uses his precious and magnificent word to cause us to become more like his son Jesus. He says here to partake of the divine nature. We don't become divine, but we partake of his character as Christ through his word by his spirit works in our lives. He has provided us his tremendously valuable and great promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped, if you're a true believer, you've escaped that corruption that is in the world by lust. Before you were saved, your heart was corrupted by your own desires, just like everyone in the world. We all were that way. It's corruption. It's decaying. Our hearts were decaying with sin. And we escaped that. We were delivered from that through faith in Jesus Christ. So then... We need to remember, we need to remember that when it comes to growing uh, with, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we already have everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him by his precious 
and magnificent promises. And all hell will break loose to, to try to tempt you not to trust in what God has said, to believe what He said, to not rely on Him, to believe that He is sufficient through His Word for everything. The world will tempt you, and the Christian world, in a sense, will tempt you to, to think, well, you need to do it this way, this way, this way, whatever it might be, to lean on your own understanding rather than to believe that God has provided everything. And we need to be reminded of that. And we'll see later on, he considers it right to remind us of these things because we forget. We can walk out of here today, true believers following the Lord, and all of a sudden something happens in our life and we forget what God says and we don't apply the truth to our hearts and thus we don't respond rightly. We need to remember what God says. Tremendous, tremendous passage. When it comes to growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we grow through the Word of God working in our hearts. That's how we get to know Him better and better. And as we know Him better and better, He lives His life through us. So with that in mind, what else could He say? That's so wonderful. Not much left to say, right? But here we see the reality is with what God has provided, He also asks us to respond. Look at... uh, Look at uh, verse 5, and as we turn there, there is, in reality, our part and God's part. You say, wait a second, Greg, you're always saying it's all Christ, apart from him we can do nothing. Yes, apart from him, we can do nothing. But as we abide in him, he expects us to step out in obedience and respond rightly in circumstances, to do the right thing, to obey him. But it's all by him. It is all by him. You see, his power and strength working in our lives doesn't happen in a vacuum. We've been provided everything pertaining to life and godliness. That doesn't mean we sit in our room and wait for him to move our arms and move us around. He enables us to obey his word in the context of a real relationship with him. Notice verse 5. Now for this very reason also, because you've been given everything, his precious and magnificent promises, he says, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence. And we've spent some time on this, and we'll talk about it in review. In your faith... Very important, supply moral excellence in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, in your brotherly kindness, love. There's a list of things here. And he says here in the main command is to supply, or to, to, to add to, to bring forth. Later on, he's going to say, if you practice these things, it's doing, it's actually doing. Now, a person without a relationship with Christ can do Bible stuff. The Pharisees did it, right? They were clean on the outside. This is from a different perspective. He says here, now for this very reason, applying all diligence, being diligent, making sure you're doing it, making every effort. Believer, make every effort, right? He says, in your faith. Everything I do is in the context of faith. I'm trusting Jesus. When I step out, situation comes before me, I don't know how to respond. Lord God, help me respond rightly. And his word comes to mind. I trust him and I step out by faith. I go to work. I I trust him. I step out by faith and do my work heartily unto him and not unto man. Whatever it might be, I'm trusting the Lord Jesus Christ in terms of moral excellence, which we'll see. Instead of yielding my body to yucky stuff and my mind to that, I make the decision in Christ to not go there by faith and know that he will deliver me from that temptation. It's by faith. It's by faith. We are to add something. We are to supply these things. 
And you see, true, genuine faith in the person of Jesus, not faith in some system or whatever, in Jesus Christ, believing what he said from his word, that's from his mouth, right? It's his word, will produce good works. It'll produce what God wants us to do, obedience. You see, faith, true, genuine faith, works. It does manifest uh, the life of Christ. We see that in James chapter 2. Saving faith will manifest in God working through you in this life. You might remember Philippians chapter 2, a tremendous passage. Uh, Paul says, So then, my brethren, Philippians 2.12. Actually, turn to Philippians 2.12. Hold your fingers in Second Peter. Philippians 2.12. So then, my brethren, just as you have always obeyed. It's about obedience, right? God says, by his grace and strength and faith, we do it. You have always obeyed, not in my presence, but now much more in my absence. And this is what this obedience looks like. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. When you've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, God is at work in us. and He is working out of our lives this salvation. We are in the moment being set apart from sin unto God. So now as we look at this, he says, well, applying all diligence, back in verse 5, for this very reason, applying all diligence, that means every effort. I am exhausting my energy to do these things by faith. By faith. Exhausting to do them by faith. Verse 5, now for this reason, applying all diligence in your faith. Here you go. Here's the list. Supply moral excellence and and in your moral excellence, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, in your brotherly kindness, love. These are characteristics that we looked at uh, two messages ago of a real relationship with Jesus Christ where he is producing these qualities in us in real time. In real time. The first one he talks about is moral excellence. It speaks of those qualities which are worthy of praise in regard to morality. You see, as God's word works in our lives, we, by his power and strength and faith, say no to the filth we used to fill our minds with and are tempted to fill our minds with. And we turn and we, we turn to Christ and allow him to renew our minds with truth. We don't act upon those things, but we, we turn to Christ to be delivered from them. Supply, add moral excellence. We should be, as we'll see, being more and more like Christ, morally speaking. Secondly, we should be increasing, he says, knowledge. We should not know the same about God we knew uh, 20 years ago. We should be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Yes, it's all been revealed. There's no new knowledge, but we should be growing in what has been revealed. Third, we should be increasing and growing in self-control. We are, we fail. We fail in self-control on a daily basis. But we should be growing in that. We should be able to say by the power of the Spirit in the context of faith, diligently say, no, no. We, we are controlling ourselves by allowing God's word to control our thinking and thus our actions. We should be persevering, remaining under when difficulties come more and more. If we're following Jesus, growing in his word, walking with him, you're going to endure those things that come upon you, persevering. We should be becoming more godly. Godliness speaks of our attitude towards God, our attitude towards him. 
we should be becoming more and more reverent in our worship. I'm not talking about high church stiff reverence. I'm talking about a heart that, that honors and respects and glorifies God for who he is. More and more reverent. We should be growing in kindness and love, we'll see here, towards brothers. Brotherly kindness. We should be loving one another more and more and more. We should be growing in that. Love covers a multitude of sins. Our attitudes towards one another should be, should be increasing because God is at work through his word by faith, by the way. And then lastly, we should, we should be growing in a love for the Lord himself, the greatest commandment. You see, as God's word works in our hearts within a true relationship with Jesus Christ, we have a different mindset towards God and towards ourselves, and thus we want to obey him. We love him. We're to love him with our heart, soul, and mind. And this doesn't happen when we're in our flesh. We don't want to do it. But when we confess our sin and admit our sinfulness and we are cleansed, we are cleansed, we are able then to allow his word to redirect our thinking and by faith step out in faith and do these things. Notice, we have the tremendous qualities here of trusting Christ and allowing his word to bring forth everything we need for life and godliness. And then, do you remember what we saw in verses 8 to 10? Very important. Look at verse 8. For if these qualities... Now, this is a narrower these here. Peter, in what we're looking at later on in 12 through 15, is a larger these. That's the whole thing. This is a narrower these. If these, that's that list that we just went through that we are to, by faith, supply, add to, to do. He says, if these are yours, if they, if you possess them, and they're increasing, two qualifications. Not if one of them is, it's not saying, hey, I've got self-control here, but I'm really not, don't love my brothers in Christ very much. It's every single one. If all of them are yours, you possess them, and they are increasing, notice what he says, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tremendous statement, tremendous spiritual truth here that we need to be reminded of. We need to be reminded you see, if his character is not in you and it is growing, then your relationship with Jesus is useless and unfruitful. You can say, I trust Jesus all I want. But if you're not walking with him and as evidenced by these manifesting in your life, your relationship with him is useless and unfruitful. What a terrible statement if you think about it, if it's really the case. I think each and every one of us can know of times where our relationship with Christ was useless and unfruitful because we were not walking with him. We had sin in our lives that wasn't confessed. But here, he says, if they are here and increasing, then ultimately the, the opposite is true. You are useful and fruitful in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is where the rubber meets the road. If the word of God is at work in a true believer's heart, this is two believers. If you're not a believer, you can't do this. It's impossible. You, if you're, if you're really smart, maybe you could do it externally and you can, you know, make this external Phariseeism, but this is for true believers, not for hypocrites. This is where the rubber meets the road. If the word of God is working in my heart in the context of faith in Jesus, then our true knowledge of him is going to bear fruit. We know who he is. We're growing in that knowledge of this relationship. We want to be like him. We want him to live through our lives. It's going to bear fruit in our responses. It's going to bear fruit in our, in our lives, in our obedience. 
We're going to be useful for the master, a useful vessel for the master. Tremendous truth. And let me ask you this. Are these qualities yours? And are they increasing? If they're not, what I can tell you is one, either you're not saved, or two, we're going to see something has happened in your life. And it does happen to believers. Notice what he says in verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Speaking about a believer, only believers have been purified from their former sins. You see, when you were convicted of your sinfulness and you turned to Jesus Christ, God who took on human flesh, who died for your sins and rose from the dead, and you called upon him to be saved from your sin, you were cleansed. You were purified. Our sins were forgiven. Done deal. Done deal. But as we're going to see, we were not just saved for that moment. We were saved to become more like him now and ultimately to be glorified. So he says here, he who lacks these things, lacks the, the word means the, they're not present. They're not present. If they are not present in your life, this is what God says is going on. He says, is blind or short-sighted or has become, literally has become blind and still is blind in the Greek. And is or short-sighted. Sighted. The, the, the word means nearsighted. If I'm short-sighted, I can only see what's right here. I can't see this. He's saying you become blind or short-sighted. Well, what does he mean by that? How does forgetting my former purification cause me to be blind or short-sighted? How am I blind and short-sighted in that? That doesn't make sense. Do you mean if I, forgot, if I forget about the work of Jesus on the cross, that's what he's talking about? I think it's more than that, folks. You see... A believer can forget their salvation not simply by forgetting the cleansing, but forgetting why you were saved. Why did Jesus save us? If you forgot your form of purifications, why did Jesus call you unto himself? Why did he save you? Why did he save you? You see, we were cleansed of our sins so that we could have a relationship with Jesus and grow in the grace and knowledge of him and glorify him to become more and more, to become predestined to the image of Christ. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for, him, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, to be like, like Jesus. And when I become short-sighted, when I don't see things clearly, when I look only right here, I practically forget why I was cleansed of my sins. In a practical day-in and day-out basis, I'm not thinking about the reason Jesus saved me. I'm not functioning in it. I've forgotten my former purification from sins. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. All the T's, you'll find it in there. 2 Thessalonians 2. You see, the Bible relays salvation in three aspects, by the way. It relays our justification when we believed we were forgiven, we were justified. It talks about our sanctification and then our glorification. In Scripture, you can see we have been saved, past tense. You can see we are being saved and we will be saved. It's, it's salvation as a whole. Second Thessalonians 2.13 But we should always give thanks to God for you, beloved brethren, by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning, notice what he says, for salvation through sanctification by the faith by the spirit in and faith in the truth and he, 
It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been saved so that we would be set apart through faith in the truth. And we've been called to the glory of God. Tremendous realities. You see, God saved me not so that I could you know, have a free ticket to stay out of hell. God saved me for a relationship with him. He cleansed me so that I can rightly relate. He is my God. I am his person. I am his people. We're his people, right? He saved us. First Peter chapter 1, like the Holy One who called us, we are to be holy in all our behavior. He saved us that we would become more like Jesus. And we practically forget that we are useless in our relationship with Jesus. First Peter chapter 2, we are to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war with our souls. First Peter chapter 4, we are to no longer live the way we used to live for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. God saved us for a reason, not simply just for the forgiveness of sins, that initial cleansing. He saved us to make us, to conform us to the image of Christ. What does Paul say again in Romans Chapter 8, verse 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed conformed to the image of his Son. Look up a little farther. Actually, turn to Romans chapter 13. You see, as I mentioned, salvation is obviously, when we trusted in Christ, we were saved. That can't go away. But we're actually being saved right now. We're being set apart from sin. And we will be saved ultimately when we are glorified. And the Bible will relay salvation in those three tenses. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And do this. Do something, right? Knowing the time, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. Notice this. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Wait a second, I thought I was saved. Yes, I was. But the culmination of my salvation is getting closer every single day. And therefore, I should be motivated to walk rightly with him now. Look at what he says. The night is almost gone, the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing and drunkenness, and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity, sensuality, nor in strife or jealousy. But put on, this is a relationship, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. You see, we need to recognize that God's will for us is our sanctification, being set apart. And when we are blind to the reason why he saves, to cleanse us, why he purified us, we've forgotten our former purification from sins. When we're blind to that or short-sighted, I'm thinking just about this life, just about this stuff, just about my issues, whatever it is, rather than God is working out his life in me, weeding out sin, wanting me to become more like Jesus, then I become useless and unfruitful. But rather, I should be then be diligent to do those things in Christ by faith. Now, some of you don't have these qualities like I've shared. And it's because you've forgotten your former purification from sin. You've forgotten the reason Jesus called you out of darkness into light on a practical basis. You may not have forgotten, but you, you are short-sighted. You don't see it rightly. We've been saved for his glory. We've been saved to become more like Jesus Christ. And it's a glorious, wonderful thing. Sin is no fun when you're a believer. It's fun for a second, but it's always bad. 
It's always a joy and a blessing to walk with the Lord and to be right with Him. And if you've forgotten your former purification, what God is doing, you're not going to be useful or fruitful in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And now at this point, Peter gives back in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, he gives the obvious inference. Therefore, based on what has been said, therefore, brethren, believers, be all the more diligent, be all the more diligent, make even more effort to what? To make certain of his calling and choosing you. Affirm that he really called you and chose you. You see, the reality is, Jesus called us out of darkness into his marvelous light by the gospel. The reality is he chose us to become holy and blameless. And he says, therefore, be diligent to make certain of that, to make certain you really are saved. Well, how is that done? He says, therefore, or whether rather, literally right here, it's not just therefore, it's whether or wherefore rather, instead of being short-sighted, be diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. It's spend your energy making sure of something. Making sure of what? His calling and choosing. Making sure he's called you in the gospel to be holy as he is holy. To be, have been personally chosen to be predestined to his image. You see, if you're a believer, you should know that God called you out of the sinful world unto him that you've been forgiven of your sins and he is making you more like Christ and ultimately you're going to be glorified. So how do I diligently make sure? How do I do that? How do I affirm that reality? It's kind of an interesting statement. He's not, he's not telling you about works, but he's telling you to do something. Look at verse 10 again. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain of his calling and choosing of you. And then there's an explanation with the word for. For as long as you practice these things. The word practice is literally do on an ongoing basis. Poieo means to do. Whenever the term do is translated in a present tense in Greek, uh, they usually will translate it practice because it's an ongoing reality. He says here, for as long as you practice these things, what are these things? Those things that are a manifestation of a real relationship with Jesus in which he has given us everything pertaining to life in God. It's those things that we are to supply and apply in the context of faith. As long as I am supplying moral excellence, those things, all those, that list of stuff that is, that is evident in a real believer's life who's trusting Jesus. He says, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. What is he talking about? The context appears to be, as we look at verse 11, eternally stumbling. You see, if God has truly saved you and you are doing these things because of a real relationship with him, because he's given you everything pertaining to life of God, you're not going to stumble eternally. It's an evidence you're really saved. But what I would say in contrast is if those characteristics are not yours and they never have been, maybe you never truly have come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's at worst, but at best you have become blind or short-sighted. Look at verse 11. See, it's going to affirm you're a true believer. Verse 11, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there you go, he's the Lord and Savior, will be abundantly supplied. If you are truly saved and it is manifest in the context of you trusting God and diligently producing that context of a relationship with him, you're going to heaven. Because it's an evidence you really are saved. 
It's not saying do this to be saved. It's saying because you do this, it's an evidence that you are saved. The entrance will be into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus will be abundantly, overwhelmingly supplied. What he's saying is that if by faith in a real relationship with Jesus these things are being manifest, if by faith in a real relationship with Jesus this is happening, you're on your way to glory. You're on your way to glory. It's an evidence. You are on your way to glory with the Lord. These characteristics are manifest in your life. But if they're not, you become short-sighted at best. Why Jesus saved you. You're no longer functioning according to his desire for you, which is to confess, say no to sin, and to, to obey his word in relation to a relationship with him. So we have a pretty simple passage in the context of faith in Jesus Christ and his precious and magnificent promises working your heart. We are to step out in obedience to diligently manifest these things, and if so, it's an evidence we're on our way to glory. That's what Peter is saying. Tremendous truth. So with that in mind, are these qualities yours and increasing? We're going to see in verse 12 that Peter says, I therefore consider it right. I shall always remind you of these things, the things I've just shared with you, the things I've just shared. So at this point, we come to our passage. You're saying, great, wait a second. We haven't got to our passage yet? No, we haven't. Well, we're here because our passage is all about being reminded of what we just shared. Look at verse 12 in uh, first Peter, Second Peter 1. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. Now, this, these things here speaks of the whole nine yards, not simply that small group of things that he spoke of earlier. Even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. You already know it. He says, therefore... Because practicing these things keeps one from stumbling eternally because it's an evidence you're truly saved. Therefore, I'm always ready to remind you of these things. And what are these things? It's everything we've seen in verses 2 to 11. Everything we've seen. The tremendous truth about God's precious and magnificent promises. Everything we need for life and godliness the manifestation of a real relationship which makes us useful and fruitful in our knowledge of Christ. The reality that, that can be, we can be short-sighted and blind-sided, but we need to wake up. We need to practice those things in the context of a real relationship with Jesus. Therefore, verse 12, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. You know, godly shepherds don't fear what people think. Oh, they've heard it before. I don't want to say that again, right? If what you hear here is always new and different, I would be concerned. You should be hearing the truth of God over and over and over and over again. Therefore, Peter says, at the end of his life, as we're going to see, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. Even though, notice what he says, and here's their relationship to those things. You already know them. You already know them, believers. And you have been established in them, or in the truth, which is present with you. This is truth. This is truth. These believers already knew what Peter was speaking about. This, the word speaks of having come to that knowledge in the past, and that knowledge affects you today. 
They already know it. He's saying you all already know it. They already know we have everything pertaining to life and godliness to the true knowledge of Christ. They already know he's given us his precious and magnificent promises. They already know we are to be actively becoming more like Jesus by faith, diligently supplying these things. They already know it. And we as believers should know these basic truths. It's even basic to our salvation. It's all from Jesus. It's all revealed in his word. But not only should we know these truths, we should be established in them also. You can know something and not be established in it. The term established here comes from the Greek word sterizo. We get our word steroids from it, right? It means of setting up something setting something up so that it is immovable. Setting it up so that it is immovable. He says you have you already know them, you already know it. And you have been established. You have been set up in the past. And it is immovable in regards to these truths, which are present with. They're with you. God's word is on your heart. Right? God had established them in the truth. It's done. And it continues to affect them this day. Now, folks, if you do not know these truths and have not been established in them, you're at fault. You're at fault because you've either placed yourself under bad shepherds or you weren't listening to good shepherds or you've kept yourself from sound teaching or worst of all, you can't be established because you don't know the Lord. Peter assumes that every single one he is speaking to, believers here, have been established in these truths. He says you all have been established. It's a done deal. It's already happened. So why does Peter share what he shares? Because even though we know it, and we have been set up immovable in it, we become forgetful. We become forgetful. We are forgetful people, and we need to be reminded on a continual basis. Therefore, he says, therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. The term always ready could be translated unceasingly. I will continue over and over and over again to remind you of these things. Thanks. And it's the truth of Scripture. It's the Word of God. Look in chapter 3 for a second. Chapter 3, verse 1. Very interesting what he says here. It's, it's parallel to what we're seeing here. But you'll see in this book that there's, there's the warnings about bad guys that twist the Word of God and Peter encouraging them to stay focused on the truth of God and the God of the truth. Look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring you up by way of sincere reminder, stirring up your mind by way of reminder. And then notice what he says in verse 2. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior spoken by by your apostles. The word of God came through the apostles and prophets. And he's saying, I'm on my way, I'm going out, as we're going to see in a minute, and I am writing this to stir you up by way of reminder about God's Word. God's Word, the truth that is present with you. Truth that is present. Faithful shepherds will continue to teach the Word of God over and over again. They'll continually remind you of dependence on Christ and reliance on his word and confession of sin and faith in him and obedience. They're going to remind you over and over and over again. And it is right. Here we see the heart of a faithful shepherd, Peter. 
Remember, after Peter denied Jesus three times, after Jesus rose from the dead, he met Peter on that beach. You remember what he said to him? Turn to John 21. John 21. The Lord Jesus has risen from the dead. Peter has gone fishing. And uh, the Lord Jesus so graciously reveals himself to Peter. Peter, having swum, sw- swam to him, is, comes to the beach and breakfast is ready. John 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, Tend my lambs. Now, in the Greek, it literally means feed, boska. Now, when you tend sheep, that's feeding sheep. It's, it's a correlation. Your New King James will say feed there. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. Verse 17, and he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. That's a great answer, isn't it? You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend or literally feed my sheep. Peter was faithful to that calling. He's about to go to be with the Lord. We're going to see that in a moment. He was feeding and he was always ready to remind them of the word of God. He wasn't feeding them stories and movie clips. He was feeding them the word of God that they had been established in. The truth of God that came from the holy prophets and the Lord's apostles. You see, the world is always looking for something new. Always looking for some new thrill, biblically or whatever. The worldly church is doing the same. But faithful shepherds consider it right to remind believers of the truth they already know and have been established in the Word of God. Indeed, the Lord Jesus, you can look at the Gospels, a lot of his teaching, he's sharing it again and again. He's repeating it. Look at Romans chapter 15. The Apostle Paul considered it right to remind of the truth. Romans 15, 15. He's going to speak of this entire letter of Romans, which is a wonderful letter. And notice what he says about it. Romans 15, 15. But I have written you very boldly, written very boldly to you on some points, so as to what? To remind you again because of the grace of God that was given from, that was given me from God. To remind you again. Philippians chapter 3, Nick read this earlier. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble for me, but it is a safeguard for you. We need to be reminded of the realities of a genuine relationship with Christ if you're a true believer. And folks, remembering is extremely important because it could be an evidence that we never actually were established in it if we don't remember if we're continually, habitually forgetful. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. The Lord Jesus warned the Israelites concerning pride and, and self-sufficiency, the things of those who don't know Christ. Because he was bringing them into a good land, and he told them not to forget. And how, how not to forget? So as to obey the word, by the way. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is the Old Covenant, but let me read it. Deuteronomy 8 verse 6. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God, walk in his ways, and fear him. There you go. That's the overview. 
For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. This is verse 7 of Deuteronomy 8. A land of brooks of water, fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey. A land where you shall eat food without scarcity, in which you shall lack, not lack anything. A land whose stones are iron and who, out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have, now, when you have eaten and satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. But notice verse 11. Beware lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his ordinances and statutes, which I have to say. Beware that you forget God, not practically speaking, but forget him by not obeying him. Beware. Beware of that. He says, lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, when your herds and flocks multiply, your silver and gold multiply, all you have multiplies, and your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through a great terrible wilderness with fiery serpents, scorpions, thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water out from, from the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna, in which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good to you in the end. Isn't that great? Otherwise you might say in your heart, my power and my strength in my hands made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth that he may confirm his covenant, which you swore to your fathers as, as it is this day. And it shall come about, if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve and worship them, I testify against you that you shall surely perish, like the nations the Lord makes perish before you. So you shall perish, because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Forgetting is a very serious thing, and it may be an evidence that maybe we didn't know the Lord. But for we as believers, we've been established in truth. We've been established in it, and yet we are a forgetful people. And we need to be reminded. And Peter says, I will always be ready to remind you. I want to ask you, are you in a place to be reminded? You see, some people choose teachers after their own desires who will tickle their ears. We need to choose teachers who will faithfully declare the word of God and remind us of the truth. Remind us. Peter was faithful. We'll notice, continuing, that faithful shepherds do the right thing. And guess what that does? It awakens us of our spiritual slumber. Verse 13, back in Second Peter uh, chapter 2. Now again, this is all speaking of what we've done and spent the majority of our time on, so we'll roll through this pretty quickly. But it's, it's pretty simple and straightforward. Verse 13, and I consider it right. I reckon it to be righteous. That's literally what it says. As long as I am in this earthly dwelling, the term dwelling is literally the word tent. You see, right now, our souls, our spirits are inside our earthly dwellings. This is our tents. And when we die, our tent goes in the ground and our spirit goes to be with the Lord. And that's if you're a believer. And that tent will be raised some other time. But he's saying right now, while I'm still alive in this flesh... To stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus has made it clear. I reckon it right to do the right thing. The right thing is to do what? To stir you up by way of reminder. As long as I'm still alive, and notice he says the Lord Jesus has made it clear he's going to go. The Lord Jesus has made it clear your time is almost gone. Just like he did with Paul. Paul knew he was being poured out as a drink offering, Second Timothy Peter's saying, I'm about to go. I'm about to leave this earthly tent. 
right? Do you remember what Jesus said in the very verses right after the ones we read in John 21 earlier? He said to Peter, truly you, I say to you, you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, and that's right now, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish. And he said here, now this, he said, signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. You see, Peter would be taken, and the, the historical account is that he was crucified. But he certainly stretched out his hands, was taken and bound, whatever that means, and taken to his death. He knows that's coming. The Lord Jesus has made it clear, and he says, I consider it right. Wow, there's no retirement for shepherds, folks. I consider it right to remind you these things until the Lord takes me away. Until he takes me away. If you've been called to preach and teach the word of God, I don't see anywhere where it says at this age, retire and stop doing it. Unless the Lord takes you home and you can't physically do it. Then the Lord is making that clear, isn't he? Peter was faithful. The term to stir you up literally means to wake you up or to arouse you from sleep. And it came to be a term that spoke of stirring something up. You know, when you're aroused from sleep, it's like, you know, right? I'm a, I'm, I am considering this right to do this by way of reminder. Folks, godly shepherds wake us up from our spiritual lethargy and our spiritual sleep. We start to forget on a practical basis that we have everything we need for life and godness through the true knowledge of Jesus, that we don't need to go to other places. We don't need to go to other people. We trust Jesus Christ. We begin to forget those truths that we have as precious and magnificent promises on a practical basis. We begin not to manifest his character in our lives. And he says, it's right for me to wake you up, to wake you up by reminding you of what you already know and have been established in. We saw that in chapter 3 of Second Peter. It's the word of God, right? It's the word of God. I want to ask you, are you being reminded of these things? Are you being awakened by the word of God? Godly shepherds will do that. Peter was godly, and he was going to do it till his death. Faithful shepherd. Jesus said, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, and he did till he died. Praise the Lord for a faithful shepherd. Lastly, notice faithful shepherds are diligent to remind us the word so that we can call it to mind at any time. Not just that we'll be woken up, but that we'll be able to call it to remembrance. Look at verse 15. We finish up with this. And I will also, along with that, be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. As I mentioned before, the apostles at the end of their lives were pointing to the scriptures as sufficient. As sufficient. I will be diligent, make every effort, not only to do what is right and stir you up by way of reminder, but also that you would be able, by reminder, to call these things to mind. Call them to mind. You see, godly shepherds share the word of God so that you can call it to mind when they're not around. To call it to mind. Faithful shepherds share the word to wake us up so that we don't forget why Jesus saved us, what he's doing in our lives. And they share the word so that we will be able to call these things to mind. The truth that we've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Christ. The truth that we have his precious and magnificent promises. They're precious. They're worth everything. They're magnificent. They're the greatest. 
They're his promises. He will do what he says that we may grow, as we'll see in respect to salvation. That by faith we are to be diligently making every effort to supply, to practice moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godness, brotherly kindness, and love. And they should be increasing, and if they're not, I'm useless and unfruitful. Let me ask you this. Are you being reminded of these wonderful truths? Not little truths that make your life better, but truths about following Jesus Christ. Is the word dwelling richly? Colossians 3. Has God's wisdom entered your heart? Proverbs 2. If what you've heard from the beginning is abiding in you, you will also abide in the Son and the Father. John, 1 John 2.24. Brothers and sisters, we're a forgetful people. And God knows that. In our flesh, we're prone to forget truths that we have known and do know and are established in. But God in his graciousness has granted those to remind us, to stir us up, to awaken us out of our spiritual slumber so that we can recall these things to mind. Today we've seen Peter's a godly shepherd, faithful to the end. He made every effort to do so. Shepherds, are you faithful to your calling? Are you stirring up those in your charge by way of reminder of the grand truths of Scripture concerning a right relationship with Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, we're forgetful. We need to be reminded. We need to be woken up. Some of you today need to be woken up because you're useless and unfruitful, and God wants you to be useful and fruitful in your relationship with him. Forgetfulness is very dangerous, but God is gracious to remind us. I want to close with some verses from Psalm 119. On uh, first listen, you might think the psalmist sounds prideful, but it's not prideful. It's the evidence of someone whose heart is right. Psalm 119, verse 16, I shall delight in thy statutes, I shall not forget thy word. Psalm 119.83, though I become like a wineskin in smoke, I do not forget thy statutes. Though things are bad, I don't forget your word, God. Psalm 119, verse 92, if thy law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget thy precepts, for thou hast revived me. Psalm 119, verse 109, my life is continually in your hand, yet I do not forget thy law. Psalm 119, 141, I am small and despised, yet I do not forget thy precepts. Psalm 119, verse 153, look upon my affliction and rescue me, for I do not forget thy law. And the last two verses of Psalm 119, verse 175, let let my soul live that I might praise thee, and let thy ordinances help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. See the humility. Seek thy servant for I do not forget thy commandments. Be committed to remember his word, to be placed under those who will remind you to remember the great truths that you have known and have been established in. Let's pray. Father, what a tremendous, wonderful passage. And I thank you so much for the faithful example of Peter, a fallen man redeemed by your grace by your grace, faithful to your calling. Lord, I pray for those of us who have the responsibility to shepherd, that we would be faithful, that we would continually 
remind and stir up by way of reminder so that your sheep would be able to call to mind these truths. Father, I pray for each and every one of us that we would analyze our lives. Are we useful and fruitful in our relationship with your son Jesus or not? We respond rightly if we're not. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is not saved, Lord God, who ultimately has not trusted in your Son, that they would turn and repent and believe in him and be forgiven, be established in your truth, and be reminded for your glory. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for what you have done for us. In his precious name, amen.